Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people that love it. I'm your host, Ed Kimber, and each episode I'll be chatting with a food writer, chef, food stylist, or maybe even a celebrity that loves food and just loves to talk about it. At the moment, episodes will be coming out every two weeks, but hopefully we will increase that to weekly very, very soon. It would be amazing if you could leave a review on iTunes or tweet about the show. It really helps to get this seen by more people. I'm producing this entirely on my own and it takes quite a long time to pull together each episode, so a bit of support would be forever welcome. If you want to drop me an email about anything, suggestions for guests for upcoming episodes, or just want to say hi, we're on stirpotpodcast at gmail.com. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before we get started, there is a little bit of swearing at the end of the episode, so if that bothers you, just be aware. Also, we are joined by the most adorable dog, and he's a little vocal, but it only happens a couple of times. If you'd like to find out how to follow my guest, check out the show notes at theboywhobakes.co.uk, and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at theboywhobakes. So, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. Please tell us your name, <laughs> yeah. your yes. age, yes. what qualifications did you I've, get? I've got in my notes your Paul Young singer, is that right? Uh, it's correct, yes, absolutely. Do you still get those um, emails and things? Oh, Do you used to get them, people saying? We get, we get um, hi Paula, <laughs> and are you the singer? Um, people said, I've just, I've just gone to your website and it sells wigs, because there's a website called paulyoung.com in America. That's hilarious. <laughs> they They're wigs. brilliant wigs, they're very far faucet. So. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I should say we are still recording. We are already recording. That's right. Don't play that bit. <laughs> Edit points, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm the editor, so I don't know why I'm telling that. Um, so on this debut episode, I am thrilled that I am joined by my good friend, world-class chocolatier, pastry chef, dash owned owner. I'm probably yeah. saying that wrong. Um, Couple of Paul A. Young. But most importantly, fellow northerner. Because that's obviously the most important thing. Absolutely. Northerners rule. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We've we love you. We love the south as well. But you well, know. we've got to live here, so we definitely do. We do. But we haven't forgotten our roots. No, we're all. very northern. I mean, you yeah. can't. You, actually, you can't talk about your accent, really. You don't have that. Uh, it's a bit. Accent. It's a bit Yorkshire, but my family are Geordie, proper like northeast. Yeah, because you actually didn't live in Yorkshire for very no. long, did you? Eighteen you months. Eighteen months. Born in Barnsley, then eighteen months. Then yeah, you don't have a Barnsley accent no. at all because that would <laughs> lost be... it. <laughs> lost it. Then, as a baby. Then I was eighteen months old talking with her. Talking baby, eighteen months old. Then, then grew up with a northeast kind of soft yeah. Geordie accent, and then yeah, because there's that kind of near enough but not super strong. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it mellowed out and vanished a bit. It's a bit more Yorkshire now. I mean, mine's the same. I don't have like a Bradford accent is quite strong and it is, harsh yeah, teens and West things. Um, whenever I tell someone in London I'm from Bradford, they say, "Oh, you mean Bradford?" Bradford, yeah. Like, yes, but I, I clearly I don't talk like that. So, um, yeah, I love. I saw you love Yorkshire and County Durham. I've, I've only been to Durham once and I was there for a food festival yeah. and it's beautiful it it's is. very hilly it's very hilly it's gorgeous it's though. gorgeous but yeah. it's, the, unfortunately the food scene hasn't taken off as quite as well as it should it's considering, quite a small area though, it, it is, is but considering there's a lot of northeast food yeah corned beef true. pie <laughs> my mum's corned beef pie is the best did it's you happy. see <laughs> um, in, in next week's episode um, I'm with Georgie uh, Hayden and in Georgie's book she has this Lancashire recipe called a pie balm and it's basically Please don't say it's pie in a bun. It is! Oh it's my. pie in a bun. And God. I've never heard of it. That's fantastic. It's incredible. So I, 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 was, I was talking to her about it, and it's all because of her husband. He's, I think he's from Burnley, maybe. He's somewhere from very like deep, darkest Lancashire. And I love it because it's like carbs on carbs. Carbs on carbs. And then yeah. served with brown sauce. It's just, it's, oh, it's brown sauce. Yeah, brown sauce with pie, definitely. I just love the fact that a very modern cookbook that's, you know, you know in the current, uh, you know, healthy eating thing, yeah. that she's put a pie balm in her book. I love it. I kind of do. I'm trying, I like a cheese and onion pasty, but I haven't got a bread roll, bun, balm, stotty. That's rectangle to yeah. put it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, you'd have to make one. You are a baker after all. I'll talk to you. You can bake. I tell I you, I'll, make I'll make the pasta. You can make the bread. <laughs> I don't know why. Then we'll make... batter it and deep fry it. Yeah, and then but that, that'll be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, it's all of the north incorporated. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, we start the podcast every episode um, with one question. Oh, and the question! It's not difficult. Don't worry. It's the not probing. Scary. It is very deep probing. Yeah, it's very okay. scary. Um, the question is is very simple, and it's just meant to kind of spring off a conversation about food. Um, and the question is, uh, why did food become so important to you? How did you get into food? How did I get into food? I grew up in the seventies as a child in the seventies and early eighties. And I, I remember distinctly, like most, most of my memories are based around food or gatherings. And it was um, at the time when there was very, very little fast food, if, sure. any, if any, other than fish and chips. Um, we had three shops in our village that all sold pretty much the same thing. Very, <laughs> yeah. we, had the, we had the the top shop that yeah. was at the top of the hill. The top shop. So not <laughs> top shop that we know. But no, not top shop. The paper shop that yeah. sold newspapers. Yeah. Then early 70s, there was a little corner shop that vanished. And then Jean's shop. Jean. Jean. <laughs> Is that her Jean. name? Jean. It was, and she basically turned her garage into a shop. It was very expensive. We didn't shop there because it was very expensive. What was it? Food shop? Yeah, it was a bit of everything. One of those wow. shops that sold a bit of everything. Um, that's that's I, Billy barking yeah. in the background. He will be part of the podcast. Yeah, if Billy, he can be. Billy is the third guest this week. Yes. And what I remember very early on is that everything revolved around a meal, mm-hmm. either getting together. I think a lot of people will say the same thing, but it, everything seemed to be very, in a way, formal. So if I remember my early days at school and food, we had school dinners, obviously, um, which 70s were... school dinners can't have been good. There were three colours of our school dinners. <laughs> brown, green... And white. Oh, sauces, Mashed, all white sauces. Sauces, white oh. sauces, brown... White potato, you know, boiled potatoes, have... tin potatoes. The, oh, the, mash... the, the boiled tin potatoes were the most watery, disgusting thing. Did you have that square ravioli? And that ravioli is an in inverted commas. No, that's oh, fancy was, for oh, you. Oh, it was disgusting. It Ooh. was in like uh, tomato puree as the sort. It was Ooh. so gross. We, well, the worst dinner, lunch, well, it was actually it was dinner yeah. then. Yeah, of course. Not yeah. lunch. Yeah. Um, was spam fritter, but the, pa- <sighs> the, the batter had like slid off slightly. <sighs> With tinned tomatoes and tinned potatoes. I mean, that's that's misery. But that misery. what I remember, I love it, the spam fritter though. Oh, I did. It's so good. Secret. Um, but you know, but what I did remember are the desserts, and they were actually very good. Really? The, they were all right like because plastic sponges. Oh, and they were. It was everything was a steamed sponge, but well, the yeah. best one was a ginger sponge with white sauce, and it it was actually really very good. Did they actually call it white sauce instead I of custard? I, I think they call it white custard. I don't remember calling it custard. I don't even know what it was. I, I do it was we had the same sauce um, and it was just sweet yeah, it was just it sweet it didn't really have an any no vanilla taste. nothing no but it was clearly like yeah. just made with yeah. um, corn flour yeah, like yeah it was corn flour sauce. milk the misery dessert was semolina see I luckily escaped that one texture for the whole thing and when you're a kid, when, you're t- when you're really small a plate is the size of a lorry wheel yeah and you've got to work your way through it so, but we had syrup sponge and things so that was school on an evening, we had a bit of a um, a plan. So my, I lived at my grandma's with my mum and my brother when we first moved back to um, Trimden Station, which mm. is the old station, Pit Village, and um, until we found a house. And we got a council house in about half a mile away. So what would happen is on a Sunday, we would go to my grandma's for Sunday dinner. Nice. Dot at one o'clock. <laughs> it had to be one o'clock. And was it, it a proper northern roast? Bob? Well, do you know what? Roast. It wasn't. It was, well, sometimes it was pork. Nice. Sometimes it was beef, which was put on on Saturday. When it was the side, it went from a beautiful succulent to a, like a boot Squeaky leather piece. Gray. And then my grandma moved to stewing steak and kidney. We had steak and kidney. So oh, she nice. varied it a bit. And it was lovely Yorkshire puddings. Yeah. No dessert. Occasionally Neapolitan ice cream. I, I have to say, I have memories of Neapolitan ice cream. Uh, but I always hated the chocolate bit. The chocolate. Oh, it because was, it just tasted of powder. It didn't taste of chocolate. And so in our family... Yeah. Was it chocolate that got left? And it was just kind of like, why buy it? It's just this half, yeah. a third of it. No one's eating. But I love the fact that you could buy a slab of ice cream in cardboard. Yes, and you slice know you it. still can get not Neapolitan, oh. but I still occasionally see the vanilla one. Oh, um, I and you love buy it. those awful wafers. Kind of wafers and yeah. have it as like an ice cream. Askey's wafers. I love that. I love that. And you scrape the cardboard, the ice cream off the cardboard, and it tastes all cardboard. It's kind of yes. Yeah. I do, I do know someone, and this is not me saying it's not me, but I used to know someone who would suck the cardboard to get all the ice cream off. No. But that just will taste Wrong. like cardboard. Yeah. Yes, it will. It yeah, will. for sure. So that was, that was Sunday. Then immediately after was baking. So, so my grandma has four, uh, 
four kids and yeah. then he'll have two kids so we all a lot of us got together on a Sunday for tea time five o'clock but we bake all afternoon so I remember right. my earliest memories is my mum and grandma baking on an afternoon and it was pretty much the same thing with a few variances every week yeah and this is where my baking fascination came from because I would hang around in the kitchen it would be uh, my grandma was the pastry chef sure she was the boss yeah and she made the, the pastry yeah the scones the corned beef pie the nice. apple pie yeah um, to start with that'd be her my mum would make a, like a chocolate Victoria sandwich cake with a bar of dairy milk melted on top of course the classic a Victorian sandwich cake. or a Genoese sponge Genoese sponge just by the hand whisk without it was utter with, mis- just with an actual balloon whisk yeah with utter misery until like oh, a circular be, one you know. I, I do remember the kind of crank handle ones yeah, cr- and I do have a, like a yeah. soft spot for them they oh, take forever they do and I, I do remember, have a soft spot for them still. Yeah. jam tarts with pastry left over you know, yeah. then open like open sandwich buns whatever it was, it was put together it was lovely yeah. and everybody left with a tub of food to take home it was lovely. That's really lovely. Then on Monday, this is what this is one of my fondest memories of food. We'd go to school, and then we'd, my great granddad, so my granddad, my grandma, grandma's father, lived literally a couple of hundred yards around the corner from us. Okay. And his house still had the coal range in wow. the kitchen for years, and my grandma would make these big, bigger size Yorkshire puddings, and in in the have the fire blazing to heat the oven at the side. It was amazing. All through this, summer as well. This was 1949. No, um, you look so good for him, Paul. I know, it's chocolate. Uh, it's cocoa butter. Um, <laughs> and then she would do like a stew in the oven. And the, it, I don't like stew that much. I never have. I never will, weirdly. But yeah. the flavour that that oven, because a bit of smoke got in, yeah, a bit of coal got in, was incredible. I'll never have that taste again. Yeah. The council ripped it out, basically. Ripped the range out. It was in a council house. Well, all the council houses then, because they were really old houses. Wow. With coal ranges, and they ripped and it out. And it was a pit town, so yeah. that makes sense, yeah. Then on a Tuesday after school, we'd go to um, Mrs. Singleton's. <laughs> Her name was Fire, or Sophia. My grand- one of my grandma's closest friends, and she would make us tea. Nice. So we'd... Halfway home, we'd go to Mrs. Singleton's house. <laughs> it's funny, there were so many names for Mrs. Single, yeah. Mrs. Singleton, Fire, or Sophia. But we weren't allowed to call her by her first name. It was Mrs. Single. Or Mrs. Of Singleton. course. Children and should she, not call adults by their no. names. And she made the most amazing pie that we'll never have again. Wow. Which was, she made beautiful pastry, but it was a leek potato, like leek and potato pie. Nice. With, with, and I think it had corned beef in as well, but it was all sliced in layers. I was going to say, like a gratin kind oh, of thing. It was delicious. That sounds- Heaven. And cakes and all that kind of thing. And we, I, I remember being a little bit intimidated because she used to bang the gong when tea was ready. And I think we were so... Call out the locals. Yeah. Come and get something them. Queuing up. <laughs> Queuing up. So everything was quite formal. And when, then the rest of the week was at home after school. Yeah. Saturday, mum would kind of make us treat food. Things like Finder's Crispy Pancakes and waffles. And things had just, just started to come onto the market, but yeah. they were quite expensive. So mum... Food was still traditional. So we had liver and onions and yeah. corned beef hash and that kind of thing. And then back to Sunday for... Oh, Friday night was fish and chip night. Of course, Friday night fish and chips. Oh, I loved, I loved Friday night fish yeah. and chips out of the paper. Especially oh, in summer, yeah. sat in the garden. I do think... I, I remember the day they stopped serving fish and chips out of the newspaper. Oh. And it was... It, it, it gave took, it a flavour. It did, but also there was something... Like, to me now, obviously, it's an incredibly nostalgic thing. Oh, it is. Um, so I have, I have on occasion taken my helmet and put it on the You should. And not paper, print, uh, paper printed with no, fake newsprint on, which I've, seen, which I've seen yeah, now. Which I've seen now. So every, everything was based around these meals and food was... We didn't snack a lot mm-hmm. in between meals. It was definitely you had your meals. Mum would be quite creative. She, she would try new things and try and be, get us to be healthy, but I just ate too much cheese as a child. I love cheese. I ate cheese. The doctor actually has told my mum to... Um, to stop eating to, cheese? For me, to, for me to stop eating cheese. What cheese was it? I have no idea. Big Probably, of cheddar. I think it was cheddar and Wensleydale. Yeah, I love I love Wednesday. So there was there was and there was a diary. The Christmas cake had been made early. The mincemeat. Everything was kind of a nice tradition yeah. of doing things at the right time. Mum would make the most amazing fudge and toffee. Really, that's oh, unusual. I remember her making fudge and beating it to get the crystals. <laughs> was that like around Christmas or no? Just randomly, just randomly. and then occasionally for my grandma was in the ladies' club. It's called the Ladies Club. It's like it's like a version like, of WI. It was like a version of WI. Yeah, it was brilliant because wow. they used to have all these fairs and things. It was basically lots more cakes, yeah. um, which I quite happily ate. Yeah, of um, but my mum would make um, 
toffee, which was like two pence each, and fudge. I can't remember the price of fudge, but it was delicious. You can't literally can't buy anything for two p anymore. I don't. Uh, yes, you can. A carrier bag. A carrier bag. <laughs> they're five p. They're five p. So food was always there. Sweets, sweets were definitely there in terms yeah. of baking, cakes, tarts, chocolate. Not so much. Not so much. We had to, well, my grandma had a the most amazing sweet tub and on a Sunday if me and my brother were good we were allowed two chocolate bars yeah. every Sunday well, like the miniature ones no a full like, like, a I, I used to, Mars like bar. a mint air, I don't like Mars bars never have but a mint aero and I remember there were things like Drifters Bar 6 <sighs> Texan Bar these are Sean see Mayer, a Texan bar I've never I've heard of oh, I don't quite know what it is what is it a man's got to chew what a man's got to chew <laughs> those of you old enough will know exactly what I've just said it was a it was a brilliant chocolate bar. It's like nougat, but the stretchiest nougat with chocolate on. And Texan was in like um, stars and stripes on the. Of on course, the why not? And you like you bit it and you just stretched yeah. it like that. You see, my favourite it still is kind of is the double decker, oh, which I is that nougat on top. Decker, yeah. Now you might be able to tell me this is a I total random thing, but I once heard that the secret ingredient in a double decker in the nugget and nougat nougat because I'm not. It was nugget nugget. Of course it was. Nugget. It was like when I moved. My mum used to say, "Oh, you nugget." <laughs> That's <laughs> such a great name. Um, I was once told that the secret to the nougat in a double decker is a teeny, teeny bit of coffee. It's not on the really, packet, but somebody who and wow. I swear they worked in food manufacturing okay. told me there is a teeny bit. I've of I've never coffee. heard that, but it was every a, time I now try it. But I'm, it was a slightly beige color. It wasn't pure white. It's not like, white. No, no. Oh, I do want to try it. I keep meaning to try and make my own double decker. Uh, that's more your. We could do area. that. Yeah, it's totally the, it the hard delicious. bits. The, the hard bits, the biscuit bit, because that biscuit was like. Well, because it's not biscuit; it's rice krispies. Yeah, and it's yeah. made up and multiplied, like crushed together and yes. formed. So good. It had the odd, I think it had the odd raisin in it or something as well. Didn't no, it? you see, I don't think there is, but I, oh, I've I had this was. discussion with someone before, and I wonder whether there was a separate version for a while oh. because I may have had one this week, and it definitely didn't have raisins in it. Did you have a double decker? I, I did think. have a double decker. They're not called double deckers anymore. The double decker buses are they? Someone told me the other day you can't call it a double decker bus anymore. Why? Sorry, we've gone off piece a little bit, but they said it's it it a dual platform. Something. Dual platform. It, it had something in the oh, paper, and so it wasn't boring. called a double decker anyway. Dual platform sounds dull. We should anyway. make a double decker. So that was t- so food wise, it was all. In, then then when it was kind of birthdays and things, that was like on top of everything else. Yeah. And what was your birthday cake when you were a kid? I'm assuming because oh. I think like Northerners maybe more, but I definitely when I was a kid, we always had a homemade birthday cake. Every year. Yeah. It was the same one every year. So, well, it depended on the year, but my mum made a um, like a house once with Battenberg <sighs> and chocolate fingers, nice. and she made little marzipan people. Like, That's they adorable. were brilliant. She coloured the marzipan, gave them arms and legs, the whole lot. That's then really another sweet. year would be the, the, my favourite, which is the chocolate Swiss roll robot. Yeah. With licorice all sorts. Yeah. Um, nice. So, it was, it was, and we, it was kind of the, the, the thing for me that I loved most of all was the Christmas cake. I remember being very small and my grandma having marzipan fruits. They were quite small wow. and being like just mesmerized and liking marzipan from like being two or three years oh, old. And the Christmas cake with rock hard royal icing, spiky. <laughs> yeah, a few marzip- spiky yeah. And then the same decoration, plastic decoration stuck on it every year. And I miss, I do miss some of those key, key things in food. Yeah. That's why... In my business now, we have we try and keep the seasons really defined, and things come out at certain times of the year every year. I do think you've always done that really well. Like I, I mean, even me, I look forward to the Christmas collection. And oh, I do. Every time you bring out, because you regularly bring out new yeah. collections, which you know a lot of chocolate companies don't. It's really hard. It's hard work. That's why, and it yeah. costs. And it costs, but especially the way you make chocolate, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, but but the thing is now, I I I fail to realise this because when you, anyone. Who's listening? Who's got a business mm. or a family or anything? And you go into autopilot for ten years, and you do over a long period. You go through things. You're still developing, still doing things. But I met someone in the Camden Passage store the other day, who, when I opened the shop, was seven years old. So they're now seventeen so at university. Wow. And I was, and I was like, you have grown so much. I haven't seen you for a few years. Did he remember? Yeah, the opening? Well, he used to come in a lot. Wow, a lot. And for him, he used to bring two pounds in buy a couple of chocolates or a white mouse oh. or whatever you know but he came in with his family and said this our tradition is to come in every Christmas Eve on Christmas Eve like I would do some go somewhere else and do the same thing yeah. and I'd forgotten that I my shop had created a tradition for people yeah. so they would come in when certain thing 
would be on sale. Like wow. a certain thing would change when a certain thing would be launched every year, that same thing every year. And I was like, that's the same thing that I had. For example, I loved when Jersey Royal New Potatoes came in and I loved when what my grandma called old potatoes <laughs> old came back potatoes. in. She loved old potatoes because old potatoes for mashing, new potatoes new for boiling. Yeah. And I like that def- definition. Like yeah. when Brussels sprouts were only available in winter. Yeah, and I have, like, in the last year, I really noticed that Brussels sprouts season is seemingly endless. Like, I'm sure you could go and buy them now. You could. But you should not. I'm sure you could. No, it's wrong. But I do think that is one thing you do really well. I think you always have seasonal chocolates in. Yeah. And you have to. We've talked about this before, where, like, if you go to Paris, a lot of the chocolate is exactly the same year on year on year on. Yeah. And sorry, anyone French listening or Parisian listening, but. We both love Paris. Yeah. However, one of the things I love about. I come into your shops all the time and if you're there as what's new and there's always something new which I you think is to. incredible and yeah. the amount of I mean well there's, there's, a re- there's a restaurant in Islington I won't name it but I stopped going to because the menu never changed literally sure. over 18 months didn't change and you can't unless it's utterly nicker yeah. wettingly stonkingly good like every time <gasps> like fish and chips yeah if you find some good fish and chips you're not going to go off piece no of course not but I stopped going, I was like, oh, it's the same all the time. Yeah. And you can't make your business work now. In this 10 years on from when we started, you can't. No. You I, can't want, I want variety. My team want variety and every customer wants variety. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's only a few, I would have guessed, there's only a few chocolates you've done the entire time. And obviously the main one is the salted caramel, the first chocolate. Yeah, that, that has never changed. That, that recipe I made 14 years ago. Wow. It has not one changed one little bit. That's incredible. Mm. But also, you did want to tell me that you have one every day. Is that still true? Yeah, pretty much. I'm not going to lie, I didn't today. <laughs> back to back, yeah, back to back meetings and I didn't. But I did have a Bakewell tart truffle today, which is my in say, my top five now. I have to say, I came into the shop last, this week yes, and yeah. I tried it and it's incredible. Oh, I love it. It is delicious because it, it tastes exactly yeah. like a Bakewell tart. It's and I, delicious. I, I love Bakewell tart. Yeah. I adore, I, I really, really love with Some royal icing or not, though? No. No. Well, totally now... So I'm not with it. I've got two sides of my whole life. One is the food I used to eat when I was a kid, which was occasionally a uh, Mr. Kipling. The large Bakewell tart that had the icing on that was kind of feathered. Do you remember? Yes. It wasn't yeah. big, but it was bigger. You, yeah, cut, yeah. you cut it rather than, rather than the cherry Bakewell. Yes. And I would buy that and love it for nostalgia. Completely. There's nothing wrong with nostalgia. But if I make it myself, I put flecked almonds mm. on the top. Yeah. Completely. Um, and three times more jam than anyone should ever put in. And I put a disc of marzipan in the bottom as well. Uh, why have I not had this? I don't know. I haven't made it today. Sorry. <laughs> Next time. Um, so when did you actually get into cooking yourself? When did that become a thing? I think I must have been three and a half or four. Uh-huh. I've got some very early moments when I first moved into our council house. And I must have been three. And my mum bought me and my brother a baking set. Plastic. A little rolling pin in a little flour scoop. A little mixing bowl kind of thing. And I remember my mum, all she did was mix flour and water together to make dough. Yeah. And I still remember the smell of the flour. Doesn't smell the same nowadays, it's changed. Um, <laughs> different wheat. Um, and I remember rolling it out and playing with it. I think occasionally she'd bake it in the oven just to dry it out so you had something in the make. No, you didn't eat it because it would be disgusting. <laughs> well, you did try. Do you remember? You're like, yeah. like uh, salt. Uh, yeah. um, that's when I first pl- like played. Sure. Then after that, it was um, at my grandma's house on a Sunday where I would sit and watch my mum and grandma. And I remember I've got a very vague memory of asking mum or grandma that if I could just mix the butter and sugar to make the, the Victoria sandwich. Oh, I was doing a, a rubbish job because sure. I was too young to do it. And, that, and I remember if you did that, then you got the bowl to lick at the end. I was like, well, this is a reward yeah. for not a lot of work. Yeah, but then I got more and more involved, um, and with mum when she was cooking, I was, I found being in the kitchen more at home than being anywhere else. Naturally, I don't know where it came from. I think it was just I love food, I love eating, I look forward to. It. Is it also because that's probably where your mum was a lot of the time? So yeah, it's kind of it was her office yeah. anyway, wasn't it? It's where she, she she did her washing, the cooking, the prepping, the you know, everything was done in the kitchen. And my grandma lived pretty much lived in the kitchen. We went through to the lounge <laughs> once everything else was done. You like completely finished everything yeah. and the washing up and everything. Yeah. But my grandma pretty much lived in her kitchen, um, and I remember. My earliest food smell, I know you haven't asked me that question, but I have to say it because <laughs> I, 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 still, it I still, I still, I um, still, 
My grandma will have one of my earliest memory in her house. My granddad built her a bungalow, basically, okay. to house the family on an old rubbish tip. Wow. And um, he put in a, a, a big kind of electric oven with those rings that were like ele- just the element, spiral yes. le- element. Yeah. And every Sunday, my great-granddad would come up and he'd have a milky coffee, now called a latte, uh, a milky <laughs> coffee with six sugars. Oh. No, it was delicious. Six sugars and a so shot basically of... basically just... And a shot, Sweet milk. and a shot of navy rum. Okay, now are you talking? It was delicious, yeah. and every week my grandma would let the milk boil over. It was it was an ongoing thing every wow, week. So that and was the, the smell, smell, the smell of the burnt milk, I still absolutely love huh. the smell of as long as it hits an el- electric element. Yeah, and gets that kind of tinge. To oh, it. it was delicious, and I still it, a, it, it catapults me back forty years to yeah. have that smell. You see, for me, that smell with my grandmother is um, her and my granddad used to make. Um, bread like bread rolls wow and it's it's basically the smell of flour oh yeah but um, it was a, such a specific smell yeah. and she would give her, she would always give us some to take home after oh. we go to her house and so that smell is so yeah. permanently linked to her yeah. and I, when I smell something similar it is a really wonderful yeah. memory it, you sure. just your life stops yeah definitely you kind of instantly fly yeah. back to you, your childhood you do and you don't have to think you have as many of those as an adult no I don't think I, you make I, them in the same way no. definitely not I don't think they stay with you. And if they do, it's an incredible, yeah. you know, thing. Yeah. Um, so from, you know, baking at home, yeah. what made you want to turn that into a job and a career? And I had three options at school. I didn't like school, not because it was school, but because my teachers weren't very nurturing of the arts and the creative people. Sure. Um, I was good at music. My mum plays uh, piano. She was a pianist and violin. Wow. Um, my dad's a violin teacher, although they split up when I was 18 months old, but there's music obviously in our in your veins. chemistry. Yeah. yeah. So um, I very... So what do you play, Paul? I play a cornet. Oh, you do? Yeah. I, was, I was trying to make a joke because I didn't think you did. I do. I play a cornet. On and off. I did all my music exams. I did well yeah. at it. Mum was my pianist for my music exams and she rearranged <laughs> some of the music for me, which was great. Um, I can do anything brass and uh, apart from trombone. I taught myself clarinet. Mum tried to teach me piano, but my left hand won't do what my right hand's not doing. You know, it doesn't work. Sure. Um, and so it was music. Yeah. Art. Loved art at uh, school and home economics at school. I was lucky enough to be in that, that home economics e- era. Yeah, when, when it was real. When it was real and we did quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it got quite adventurous at some points. So, um, but then I, so I, I looked at those three options. One was music college, and I thought I just, there was something about it that I didn't want to do it as a career. I wanted to keep it as a hobby. Fair so enough. I, I uh, uh, applied for art college and got in. Wow. Um, and two days before I was meant to go, I called him and went, I'm really sorry. It was Hartlepool Art College. And I remember going, I remember going for the interviewings, and I, I felt, it felt really at home. I felt really right. But the northerner in me really did kick in and go, right, people always need to eat, no matter what I'm cooking, where yeah. I'm going to cook, people that you will always have a job yeah. in cooking. It's a trade. Yeah. yeah. So I went to Durham New College um, and did a course which was um, a BTEC first diploma, which then led to a national diploma in hotel catering and management. And I really enjoyed the chef practical side and I... I really relished that bit. But lucky, I learned all the other stuff as well. Sure. So that was when I realised that I'm going to make this a career. I didn't know what to expect going to college. I kind of knew what the curriculum was, but yeah. I what didn't realise. But the lecturers, my God, we had a guy called Tom Young. He was from out of the army, but he and and Francis Openshaw, who I'm still in touch with. Wow. Um, she was my first practical um, lecturer. Wow. She was really strict. How old were you at that time then? 16. Wow, and you're still in contact. Yeah, I, still, I, I went up to meet all my own lecturers last year. Wow. Um, Barbara Harris and Tom Young, and all, all of them. They were great. But there was, there was Francis Openshaw and Tom Young who really could identify creative talent. Um, we started off with about 20 people on our course and ended up with about seven. Because it's hard work being a chef, isn't so they it? Compl- oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's why it's, I don't work in Yeah, the hours are hard. And I, I had to get a job and to fund college which most people do and that's the day I got the job I was on £1.40 an hour wow after after college I got an hour an hour's bus journey to this hotel restaurant and it was um, 
chopping a full sack of, of onions on a Tuesday night, doing all the bar meals with a chef that was, he was a, I think he was a Greek chef. No, Cypriot chef. He used to shout. He couldn't speak. He just shouted. And then, then wash all of his dishes at the end. I, just, I smelt of chips for like three, for, not, for like a year. And you still decided to go but it, into being a chef. But it was great. Yeah. I liked the atmosphere. I liked the energy of it. The energy of it. That was when I really knew that first job and that first year at college. That's when I really knew this is going to be a bit more than mm. just a job. Sure. But, and then after you, after you left, because mm. you didn't immediately go into chocolate, though, did you? Oh, it took, it took a long time. So I, I, I decided to try higher education to get a degree. I dropped out after a, a term and a half because the creativity had completely vanished. What it was, was the degree in? It was hotel catering management, but it had bit, you could pick two other subjects. I picked business accounts and microbiology. <laughs> we basically let tomatoes rot and, 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 and made yeah. germs, not germs, bacteria and things. And it was to understand How that things, whole side. Yeah. And I found that really creative and really interesting. But I was so uninspired. So I dropped out, got a job in a pub restaurant immediately just to... Pay the bills. Yeah. And then I, my, my first real job was um, a short contract at Strensel Army Barracks in York. I did not know that. As catering manager. Wow. Because um, the, the army barracks were closing. Yeah. Um, it was an unusual time. She lived on the barracks and we had a lot of IRA threats and five wow. o'clock in the morning in the middle of a field because we'd had another bomb threat. And things. But it was a fantastic... An uh, insight into a professional job, yeah. like you're responsible, you have to make this work. You've got a budget to stick to. That's quite young to be yeah. in charge of such. A... It was so much fun, though. Oh, it, I can imagine. It was, it was yeah. fun. Yeah. And then I decided, right. I mean, I was a bit of a free spirit. I've lived in more places than I can even count on, on my hands and toes, hands <laughs> and feet. Um, I moved to Whitby, well Hinderwell, just outside Whitby, then yeah. Whitby. And I got a job in a new, a brand new bistro that was basically a shell when, when it, I started. Met the two guys that started it up, did the menus, the ordering, the, the everything. Wow. Stayed there eighteen months, and it was called Alice, Alice Blossoms, and it was um, right on the seafront, and that's one of my fondest memories, like times of my life. It would be such a beautiful oh, town. The seasons, the the food, the the produce, the, the witch museum, the, yeah, Dracula. <laughs> Sorry, Dracula museum, yeah. Only went once. <laughs> Gothic weekend, Gothic. the regatta. It was like the first time I'd experienced like a community feel. It is an incredibly yeah. small town, yeah. beautiful, but it does have that real yeah. kind of almost old fashioned. It still feel is. To yeah, it, it was even, very old fashioned. Yeah, and I loved every second of living there. Wow. I did. I, but I but it wasn't enough. Um I used to go. We used to go clubbing on a Saturday night to Leeds and so have to no, drive drive over the moors all night. Yeah. Like, so drive it's over. Not that close to Leeds? No, it, really. no, it's not. It really isn't. Down the A sixty four in my little mini metro with five of us crammed in. It barely got up the hills. But we used to drive over to Leeds after work, go clubbing, and drive back and go straight, straight to work. Straight to work. Um, good days. Um, and I, I thought th- th- there's something in Leeds, the city. I really. Yeah. So I moved to Leeds without a job and I signed wow. up with an agency called City Catering and I did, I did really well because I, I was somewhere different every day. It was variety. Yeah. It was, I got paid well and I got offered a one week contract at Bramham Park outside Leeds to work on a Land Rover tour. And basically, Land Rover were doing, launching Discovery, Land Rover wow. Discovery, so the latest new four wheel drive at the time. They did. They brought a dry slope skiing, off-roading, you name it, <laughs> but with a big hospitality tent, yeah. 350 people for lunch, afternoon tea. And I said, I said yes, and he went, oh, it's Mark up here, White and his chef's doing the food. So I nearly, I nearly weed myself, because I Not knew surprised. of him. He would have been him. at his height at that point, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Knew of him, always wanted to work for him, never, ever even anticipated that I would move to London. I didn't think I was good enough to do that. Yeah. And I met Roger Pisey, who was um, Marco's executive pastry chef. And I started doing um, every, pretty much every section, looking after the kids' menu, looking after salads. And then I gravitated into the pastry kitchen and loved it. And at the end of that week, Roger said, do you want to stay on for the rest of the tour? So we're here, here, here throughout the year. So we drove up and down the country to these different events. Wow. Some would last a week, some would last a few days. They'd put us up. 
it was that just sounds fun. Oh, it was yeah, it was incredible. fantastic. But in amongst that was was learning the I was being taught the life of a, a top chef. Yeah. Even Roger at that time, you know, he'd been with Marco f- from day one at Harvey's, pretty much. So um, I was stunned at kind of the rock and roll lifestyle that they had. Yeah. Thinking, I've just been in Leeds making up a crumble, um, you know, <laughs> for three years. Um, and he said, but then halfway through that, so it must have been August time, um, Roger said, I've spoken to Marco, would you like a job at the Criterion as pastry chef? And that just opened in 1995, so this was 1996. Wow. And um, I just, I said yes immediately. I didn't, even, I just bought a two up, two down, back to back house in Leeds, just. But I packed, I literally packed it up, rented it out, and moved to London. And it's just because I, I knew, I hadn't been to London properly at that point. I hadn't even been into the restaurant, hadn't even seen the kitchen. I think the first time I'd seen it was the day I started. Wow. And I realised from the second I walked in that I was not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I was no. like, this is not the same. I'd never. This is going to sound unusual for many people. Listen, I'd never worked with anyone foreign. Ever that in a kitchen me in the north in those years. No though. one, and I was so intimidated. The, the guys on the call started. One was German, one was Swedish, and so on and so on. And I, I was blown away by the. I walked in and I thought on the first day you could start at nine, not eight, and the amount of work they were doing at nine o'clock in the morning. I was blown away. Mm. I couldn't believe the attention to detail after service at two in the morning. People start prepping again. Yeah, and I was like, this is a completely different thing. That's that was the point when pastry chef that's it you know I, I, it was a comic pastry chef I was learning yeah um, and that's the point I started to use Valrona chocolate really good chocolate and which would have been unusual at the time because it was expensive yeah but in the 80s well, yeah. you know chocolate was, was still Bourneville yeah. yeah it was I remember so I was um, 1996 started with Marco and tasted this Valrona Guanaja 70% and we weren't, we weren't meant to there was Calabao as well there were two lots and one was used for one dessert one was used for decoration um, and I didn't at that point know I was going to do chocolate I just mm. knew I was couldn't believe I was being a pastry I used to stand at the night bus stop at Piccadilly at 2 o'clock in the morning I used to get home at 3 back in at, at 8 um, and think I can't believe I've just done a service in London I just I'd, I'd never put myself in that position but I thought I've got an opportunity either sure. grab it right now because there are chefs trying to get into Marco's restaurants yeah. and make the most of it and stayed with him um, till 2001 at, when I became head pastry chef at Corvardis and did a short stint at the Oak Room and then was a pastry chef at Titanic as well running one of the teams wow um, it was amazing yeah it sounds like an incredible time and then and then you gave just, it all I up. gave it all up I was a bit ill actually I got quite ill and exhausted because after of the that, that. hours and oh it was yeah. it was long but it was it was amazing well I, I often I have a lot of friends that pastry chefs and um you know, there, there's a lot of medical issues that go with it. Back problems. Oh, I mean, I geez. should say, we have tried to record this a few times and one of them was because you put your back out. Yeah. So, I, every pitch if I know yeah. has back problems. Yeah. And it's a tough, very physical job. There is. So That's, I'm not surprised. My shoulders are shocking. I mean, the last time I, I really put my back shoulder and neck completely out there was a screamed at work it just moved in it was like that's it and I was like threw me to the floor and I've never had that before and you do you have knee problems and we just used to eat cake so <laughs> we, with Marco he has this ethos you you do not use anything from the day before of or you or go over a service everything is fresh for every service and every day so in the morning we'd go and have something lemon tartar right breakfast lunch Something else, bread. Yeah. So I didn't really had a balanced diet. I was dehydrated sure. and tired. So, but anyway, I took three months off. I got in touch with a, a company called Focus Management Consultants, one of the early consultancies for chefs. And I thought a development chef would be a good way. And I got, somehow got an interview to develop Japanese and Chinese yeah. food for M&S. Did you do pizzas for a while as well? I did. Yeah. So, so that was at M&S. And then a pizzas for Sainsbury's. And it was it was my proper. I struggled with it mentally because I like having a lot of fun, and there's a serious side. You had to go to work in a shirt, tie, yeah. and trousers, but then you're in the kitchen half the time. But I learned about I learned about do. product development, about pricing, about procurement, about manufacturing thousands and thousands of pizzas by hand. Yeah. Um, that was a two year stint, and then the old team from Quavardis, who'd all separated, got 
uh, Chris Howard rang me and said, we, we, we've all got back together. We want you to be our head pastry, head pastry chef at a restaurant called uh, La Rascasse at Cafe, Cafe Grand Prix in Mayfair. Wow. And it's, it's, there's a Cafe Grand Prix in Monaco. And I said, yes. So I did 18 months there. <laughs> and then I watched a programme called Great Food Live on TV. Yes. And I wrote a letter to Nick Thorogood. I, I, was, I had coffee with Nick Thorogood a while ago and he was telling me about it because I didn't know was, that you wrote a letter to him saying, I can do better than this. I did. It's really funny because I watched it and I was like, oh, I'm bored of another apple crumble on TV. I am. I was really dull. And I wrote a letter because there was no email. I didn't have a mobile phone and there was no email. So um, I wrote a physical letter. And I got an int- a, a meeting with him and Michael Connick, producer. And then I got a screen test as you do in those days. And then got on the show with Jenny Barnett, on and off. I actually not on it all the time. It's a live show five yeah. days a week for 10 years. And that was the changing point. Sure. I made, my first recipe was a chocolate recipe, chocolate tortellini. Huh. Very first recipe I did. And at that point, I had no idea I was going to do chocolate. I was doing food shows, all, all the, the early festivals, Food Lovers Britain shows yeah. and things. And I would always use chocolate from Rococo in my recipes, my demos. And then on the show, they said, could you make some more chocolate recipes? And I started uh, showcasing the best top 10 Easter eggs to buy for Easter and then Christmas. And it all started to morph into chocolate. So it was almost by mistake. Com- it was I am, never something planned. It should be called the... The, the, what? the accidental chocolate. The accidental chocolate, yeah. It's not as good as the galloping gourmet. It's not, yeah. no. And then when it really distilled down to the, that point was when Chantal Cody from Rococo, founder of Rococo, said got in touch and said, would you make a, a celebration cake, so a celebration cake business on the side of doing other stuff for my King's Road window for Chocolate Week? And I was like, what's Chocolate Week? She said, well, someone called Kate Johns has founded National Chocolate Week. At that time, Rococo would have oh, probably been one of the only chocolate it, shops It was the only. style. She only had one shop. It was on King's Road. Yeah. And she was the goddess of chocolate. There was no one else doing that She's style. Still, but, yeah. She is. <laughs> and... Um, I'll cut, it, I'll cut it slightly short because I'll be going, I can talk about it all day. Um, she said, no, make some chocolates using Taylor's Porter, the sponsor, and meet Kate. I've heard you're playing with chocolates. Make some chocolates. I made them. Never made chocolates for anyone other than myself before after playing for about a year. They sold out. Met Kate. Kate said, you, show me your other chocolates. I said, okay. So she tells them, she said, you need to enter these into the World Chocolate Awards. The first Academy of Chocolate Awards. I went, no, of course not. I can't sell them. Where are we going to sell them? And they won golds and silvers, salted caramel, classic yeah. truffle, raspberry ganache. That was the point when things changed because the phone was ringing. And I was working as a consultant, helping, helping set up a desserts company in South Wales for waitro- with Waitrose uh, for them, uh, teaching at a cookery school in East Sussex and teaching at home on the weekend. And I rang my business partner, James, and said, do you still want to do this chocolate business? Because mm. we'd, we'd had the idea a year before. I've just won these awards. And I did a, a pretty much an eight-hour walk. St- started at King's Cross, where I lived, and I did this loop of London, of everywhere I wanted to have a shop. And on the way home, anyone knows London, from Essex Road, walking down Essex Road, uh, oh, sorry, Upper Street, yeah. onto Camden Passage, heading towards Angel, I stopped. And I'd been, we, James and I had looked on Camden Passage, and there was an empty shop that had a notice in the window saying it was up for let, but someone had already put a license application in. To, for it to be a wine shop and back then Camden Passage I mean Camden Passage is one of my favourite streets in London yeah. but it would have still almost been an antique street back then it was an it antique there was the only things that were still there that are there now is Annie's furn- uh, Annie's um, jewellery no costume, costume uh, vintage yeah. costume uh, which is basically opposite your shop yeah just one oh, down oh, the silver yeah. shop next door Elk in the Woods that was there by then yeah okay Fredericks that, and that, was, that was about it yeah the rest were antiques shops. Yeah, because I remember going there when I was, my parents are yeah. both antique dealers, and I remember going. Yeah. And first time I came to London and saw it different was amazing. So um, it's changed a lot. Street. We put an application in, and I remember reading that the, the, the landlord was a temperance society. So this guy had put an application in for a wine shop. They would never have got the agreement. That's like, great. We put an offer in, and we got it for the, the whole building, so I could live above. Yeah, that was in November two thousand and five. And I moved into the house, the flat upstairs, without any hot water or heating. I went to the gym every day for a shower. Um, and started renovating the shop and opened opened a week before Easter in 2006. Wow. Um, I, I still see, I, now and again, a picture of you outside the shop flashes oh, up on my Facebook or something. Oh, 
and memories from ten years ago. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the shop A looks incredibly different. It does because yeah. it's very white and it it's doesn't very, have your like yeah. classic design to it. No, it was very. We had patisserie on one side, chocolate on the other, and it was very clean lined and unfussy. And it was still. It was just kind of the beginning. I didn't make half the amount of products that I do now, but I was just me in the kitchen, so I couldn't. Yeah. Um, but the, the the shocker was for James and I was that first Christmas, where on Christmas Eve there wasn't a single product left on shelf, nothing, not even a that's single incredible. chocolate. There was nothing, and that's when we realised we've got something here. Yeah. And that's when we really started to think how we're we going to. I definitely think I think change um, along with Chantel. I think you're probably the, the other person in London that's really pushed chocolate. Uh, you have William Kelly as well, yeah. but I think William. His audience is slightly different. Yes, you're much more almost mass market in appeal, and we try to be un- totally approachable. I, 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 I would that be the word I would use yeah. entirely because I think you have a real sense of playfulness. Yeah, and yeah. you don't do chocolates to what I think of as in that kind of more old-fashioned vein, mm. where it's uh, of the French school, and you know you don't necessarily follow the rules. No. Um, and that's one of the it's fun I'm, not to. No, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's one of the things I've always really admired about you. I mean. I mean, as an example, you make a chocolate with Marmite. Yeah. And year one. That was year you, one. Year that was one. A bet, right? Lydia Slater, if you're listening, Lydia, it was a great challenge. Um, she said she would feature me in Sunday Times Style magazine if I could make it work. And you did. Still and we made it work today. at the salon, and she said the Hes- she named me as the Heston Blumenthal of chocolate in the first year. Do you still so- use that quote? <laughs> of course I do. Thank you, Lydia. Um, Such a good quote. Well, in that same year, Heston's chefs came down to the shop to for some inspirational wow. work, and it was it was brilliant. And it was just because I opened the shop selling some of the things that I thought would sell, and within weeks took them off and was thought right the creative stuff that I was waiting to lo- slowly soft launch in yeah. came on, because people had had milk chocolate truffles, white chocolate truffles, everything, all the standard stuff everywhere else, and that's when things changed. Yeah. It was kind of test the water. Okay, patisserie didn't work in a shop. People wanted chocolate, more chocolate, more chocolate. Because yeah. they could buy patisserie elsewhere. Um, and it became solely chocolate, apart from the brownies and the, you know, the, those baked items. Yeah. Um, and it worked. So, so it became seasonal and very very experimental wow. without being gimmicky. Although I, I remember gimmicky. being labelled gimmicky with the Marmite truffle from others in no, the industry. It actually works. To me, gimmicky is almost a thing where you're doing something just for that reason, but yeah. actually you wouldn't have put it on. It took three months to develop. Exactly. That, to, make, to make it work. Uh, knowing you, you yeah. wouldn't put something on unless no. it actually was delicious. I remember when it launched Unilever, actually got in touch with us because it made the press. Yeah. And that was ten, you know, 10 years ago. And then the five food... years ago, they launched their own bar yeah, chocolate range. Did, yeah. Yeah. And 10 years ago, there wasn't Instagram, Twitter. No. Was there Facebook? I don't know. I don't think there was. And if there was, it was very, very early. It would, it would have been 10 years ago, I think, because I think I joined it 10 years yeah. ago. Wow. And I, I wasn't, we weren't on social media. No. It, it wasn't the same. It was word of before. mouth or printed press. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, for me, I remember, I'm sure I, I always try to remember how I met you. And I know I met you once at Kate's I, first ever chocolate show, but you right. don't remember that. Because no, I don't. I, I hadn't. Been I remember meeting that you at that <laughs> the bicycle shop cafe on Old St- in Old Street. Was that when we did the brownie bake? That was it. That, we, okay. we judged all those brownies. I remember oh, all those awful brownies. I can't believe you just said that. They were delicious. <laughs> there, was a, mm-hmm. there was a lovely burnt one. Why would you... But there was one using brown? your recipe, wasn't there? Oh, there That's was, the yes. One, yeah, it? there was, yeah. And yeah. you said you've used your recipe. Because we all know that yeah. looks exactly That looks and tastes the exact same. Yeah. 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 I, I had completely forgotten that because I remember very shortly after that going into your kitchen. Yeah. yeah. And look Mum, No Hands. Yeah, yeah. Look Sorry, Mom, that's the shop. On, in Old Street. Yeah. Sorry. Um, mm. And it was this really fun. I can't remember if it was for charity. It must have been. It must have been. Yeah. And we were judging. Uh, yeah. That was a really fun. It was. Event. First time I met Dom as well. Yes, yeah. Who runs Damson Chocolate? Yeah. I remember. Yeah, but you did come into the kitchen. I remember coming yeah. to the kitchen, and it was the first time I'd I'd been in. Uh, I'd worked in Raymond Blancs. Yeah. I did a stage at Raymond Blancs uh, kitchen, um, but it was the first time I'd seen a chocolate kitchen. Yeah. And I still am impressed by it. You know, I still love coming into your kitchen because the other. It's thing, a very different environment. It's very different, but also. There's something that you do that I think is incredibly impressive, and I have been in multiple chocolate kitchens mm. since, and nobody does it. You do everything by hand. You have no tempering machines, no enrobers. There is literally no kit in your kitchen. Twenty-five tons of chocolate a year now. I mean, I have to say, I remember when you opened I think it's 25, yeah. Soho, and oh. I went into the basement, and you Big have kitchen. that room yeah. that's just chocolate. Oh yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a little. Um, it's like an corridor. Arch. Yeah. Yes. And it's filled, filled with chocolate. chocolate and it's amazing. We won't change. The one thing we won't do is change because 
we could very easily, and this is not, I'm not saying that any chocolate business is any less quality by doing it by machine. It's just a different ethos. Yeah. We say, and I've said from day one, that we make chocolates by hand on the premises daily. By hand. Yeah. We don't have a tempering machine, a filling machine, an enrobing line, anything. Um, and you'd make more money if you did. Because you'd we be would. quicker. It's, well, we'd make more money quicker. Yes. It's, it's a long, for James and I, it's, been a, it's a long-term project. It'll be the rest of my life, I'm guessing now. I mean, it took you how many years before you even opened a second shop? It was a long time. No, the, well, it was actually... The 18, no, no, you opened a city one. 18 months, it was then another four years yeah. and we haven't opened one well we opened heels and then closed it um but another standalone store it's been since so five years we'll only do it when it, the when time is right but in the middle of that we had the economic plummeting yeah. downturn thankfully everybody always wants chocolate everybody wants chocolate um but yeah we haven't changed it's like i can either i could do two things i can either train and employ people or buy machines well that was going to be my other point is that i think it's incredibly admirable that actually you go into your kitchen and you don't take just chefs no. You know, we, we want to have no, a conversation about the idea that I would go to pastry school. Yes. And you said, no, don't. Because yeah. you can come out of pastry school knowing uh, skills that are very outdated. Yeah. And for you, it was more about um, passion yeah. and drive. And so you've taken people on that. I'm sure you once told me a story about someone who had worked in the kitchen as like a porter and right. then so, became a chocolatier. So, Recently, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. I think... Co- Going to college is right for some people. Now, sure. if I look back, and if I could do it again, and I'm not someone who does look back and wishes I'd done it again because everything has worked right for the way I wanted it to, but I probably, w- if, if I had the option of going into a, a, a fantastic restaurant with someone like Mark Pierre White, rather than go to college, I would, to learn from people who've learned from the very best. Sure. Um, I think sometimes college goes at a slower pace. Um and you, you practice something once, one week, and then you change next week. Yeah. Then you do something else next week. For my team, um, there's very few places they can go to train to be a chocolatier. That's very Westminster true. College, they've got a fantastic chocolate lab yeah. now, but that's a very new one. Yeah, it's just new. happening. So three of my kitchen porters have become chocolatiers. Three. I mean, that's incredible. They started out washing dishes and doing kitchen hygiene. Eduardo has been with me three years. He's uh, now a chef-to-party chocolatier. Caesar who left me last year, he became a head chocolatier at Islington. Wow. And um, Pedro, who's still with me, he became an apprentice chocolatier in January after being a kitchen porter. And because they had, mo- they were clearly destined for more, yeah. they had ambition, they were looking at the kitchen in a different way than other kitchen porters. I do think that's such a testament to you and to the ethos that the business you have has. To give, you have to give people an opportunity and a chance. But also, I, I mean, I think the world of uh, pastry chefs and chocolate in London is <laughs> probably filled with people that yeah. you've trained. Yeah. Because... We've had a lot move on. Yeah. Which is... Which is part of kitchen Absolutely. Life. You have to get used to it. Um, but I do think it's incredibly impressive yeah. because not everywhere is like yeah. that, no. you know, and you give that opportunity to people. Yes. Um, I still haven't been in the kitchen. We have been talking about it. We have. You need to. You need to Six come years. in. We need to come. Um, in. We, no, we, we will develop a product together. That's what <laughs> we we'll do. Becker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have to call it. We have to call it a dual we can't platform. Call it's called. Yeah. yeah. We call it a red bus or something. A bendy bus or something. Bendy bus. They don't exist. Anymore. They don't. Yeah. Uh, it would be bendy though. Yeah. Anyway. Um, no, I do think it is an incredible testament to the business that uh, you know you put in that time and yeah. dedication and you have a duty. Yeah. I think to, to whatever degree you believe it should be to train and educate and show people, give them the opportunity. You know, I wasn't academic. Um, and I've had to learn the business side and concentrate on that really hard. A lot of my chefs are not academic. They're intelligent people, but they're just creative. Mm. Um, Natalie, one of my chocolatiers, was a journalist. Wow. She decided to change her job. She came in. Um, I'm, she may have done a course, like a one-day course. When we first came in, applied for a job. I said, yes, okay. And um, th- that just happened because she had to drive the focus. Um, some of my chefs have been nothing to do with sweets, pastries, and have changed into that role. Um, Nick, who's now my production manager, he's a senior manager looking after the three kitchens, uh, managing the three kitchens. He started with me five or six years ago, stayed with me for three years, became head pastry chef of Camden Passage, left to go to a big big production chocolate company to learn how to scale up sure and came back as my production manager this year and, now he, and, he, <laughs> and he has taught me so much about scaling up yeah 
and volumizing and etc. And he is shit hot. Excuse my language, no, you everyone. Can swear it's fine. Um, he is so on it. Um, and the team I've got now in the kitchens, they are really on it. The retail team, we've got some absolute shining stars who maybe didn't think they wanted to be in retail. It, beca- it was a job they took temporarily mm. and they've stayed. It's not easy because they're wrapping, packing, selling. It's very, you have to multitask. But we've got such a good team right now that are passionate and come to work motivated. Um, that's rare. Yeah. And I do think it is, and as I said before, I think it is a true testament to your business as a whole and you as a chef and a, you know, yeah. as a boss. I think more people should give people opportunities, like my head chocolatier, Caesar, who came to me, left and came back. Yeah. And it's, he applied and said, can I apply for the head chocolatier position? I know I can do it. And I, he, had to, he had to convince me. He had to work hard to convince me. He's now just made a sculpture for the Camden Passage store, which is cause it was part of his development. Yeah. I said, make a, he's, he's a month ahead of time as well. He's made this beautiful sculpture. Wow. Um, and now others want them, him to teach them how to do that same thing. That's all. And just thing. giving him the opportunity to be head pastry, head chocolatier, and he's worked really hard. So sometimes you just have to take the risk. Yeah. I, and I quite think, often people will surprise you. Well, I think your whole business was a risk and it's clearly paying off. So. Oh, it is, yeah. It's a big risk. Um, for the next little segment, Ooh. this gives you a little opportunity to uh, rant if you need to. Oh, or... we're northern. We rant a lot. <laughs> so you mean you rant quite a bit. Um, it is called The Recycling Basket. <laughs> I love that. And it's basically, it's my version of Room 101. So right. if there's an ingredient that you cannot stand, Ooh, got or if there's a trend okay. you cannot stand, I always joke that mine's cleaning thing. Um, but if there's anything that you have like five minutes to rant about something that you just want to get rid of, and then I judge if it goes. <laughs> Avocados. Really? Why? Oh, there's no point, is there really? <laughs> I mean... They, you can grow the you can grow the the pit the pit the seed it makes a lovely plant you know that's very nice I'm sure um, I just don't think I've a, I could right if it's a dietary thing and you're vegan yes it it can be very good at emulsifying and making it just is the wrong texture it tastes of nothing it's not healthy to eat as amount of avocado as people are eating and thinking it's because they're very calorific and very oily it seems to be like it's put in everything now I heard it called the vegan lard the other day. <laughs> Oh, we could, what we could call it. I can't mix avocado and lard together. Avalard. Oh, it's avalard. There we go. It's now called avalard. It will Rebrand. make you fat. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a personal thing, along with furry fruit. But I'll stick with avocado. I know about you and furry fruit. You're not I can't do furry fruit. Yeah. But I've, got, I, I, I've never seen the point. It's a flavour thing, and a texture thing. Fair enough. And I can't see why you would take something like butter out of something and put something like that in. I would agree with you on that point in the terms of, like, I had a chocolate mousse recently and I kept thinking, what is this very peculiar flavour to it? And it was avocado. It like, just makes it oily. It made it oily yeah. and it had this and oddly pear tasting. It just didn't really yeah. work. It was and, very and, and chefs out there in all the new trendy small restaurants with small plates, which I do love, please do not char grill slices of avocado. It is wrong. No, avocado char grilled, no. Give me an onion char grilled, delicious. No, not, not an avocado. Does not... No. However, it's very good for your. You can put it on your face as a face pack. Very good. I'm sure you can put it on your hair. Very good. You see, I really like guacamole, and I don't think I can. I can get rid of it. So we might have to. Hummus is nicer than guacamole. I do love hummus too. You couldn't get rid of that either. All right, I let you. You can't even use the skin on an avocado. There's no use for the skin. <laughs> you know, it's not. And you know, no, it's not. And, and I remember the days when it was called an avocado pear. No one yes. calls it an avocado pear anymore. I have seen it. There's a, there is a greengrocer's near me that calls it an avocado pear. Oh, let's bring um, back. It's now called an avocado pear. No, it is called. What was your lard thing? Avalard. Avalard. An avalard pear. <laughs> oh, oh, I let you keep it just for that reason. <laughs> You're not keeping strawberries, though. Don't <gasps> <I'm kidding. laughs> How can you be British and not like strawberries, Paul? Um, so our final section is a quick fire round. Yeah. Oh, the shopping list. Oh, lovely. So oh, lovely. It isn't? is basically um, two things each time, and you need to make a decision about which one. You prefer. Oh no, I'm not. Do you know what? Every, it will every, give you stress. I every journalist says, "What's your favorite chocolate?" I know. That's your, this is and not I'm that. like. I, I give can't you options pick. that you have to choose. Right. It's a multiple right. choice round. I can't pick. Um, right. You can expand on the answer if you need to. Okay. You can disagree with my pairings if you need to. Okay. Um, but it's just meant to be silly, so. Okay. Milk or dark chocolate? <laughs> Milk. Okay, interesting. Tea or coffee? Neither. Neither. Fair enough. Hot chocolate? Uh, Rubos tea. 
Fair enough. It is tea, but I didn't. You know. Is that just not the caffeine then? Yeah, can't Fair caffeine. Uh, oh, you didn't. You said earlier you didn't like it, so let's change oh, no. that right. to Twix or Toffee Crisp. Twix. No, Toffee Crisp. Toffee Crisp. <laughs> because of caramel. I, oh, they both got caramel. No, I don't. Texture. I don't like a Twix. I, I hate think it's Twixes. Boring. It's not boring. I just think there's something very odd tasting about it. It's not no, like everything. That's Billy again. Billy's saying that he likes Toffee Crisp too. Billy, darling. Billy. Yeah, he doesn't. Billy says he doesn't like Twix either. <laughs> toffee crisps, all right, because it's I like it, but it reminds me of a lion bar. A lion bar is better than a toffee crisp. Though. Yeah, more nobbly. Yes. Anyway, sorry, digress. <laughs> the north or the south? Oh, that is such an <laughs> evil question. It is. You see, the good thing is oh I've known you for so many God. years. These are not easy for you, and I know they're not. <laughs> you oh. can you can not give an answer. I will like. I will, Knowing how difficult that will be for you, you're allowed to not give an answer if you need to. I can't answer that. Fair enough. I like them both. This is going to be difficult too, probably. Oh, no. Sticky toffee or apple crumble? Oh, God. You've picked really nice. Um, okay, I think it's going to be... You can say apple pie if you need to. If that gets you out of um, the Right, the thing is, apple crumble, you can get more... Cons- right, only apple... Apple crumble, as long as it's not a muesli-based top, right? No oats for you. Not really. I just like a ba- like a nice basic, basic crumble, apple crumble. Like kind of yeah, with custard. Sticky toffee pudding. I've had some awesome sticky toffee puddings and some terrible ones. So for I cons- think you've made me an incredible one. Yeah, I love I love sticky toffee, yeah. but for consistency and seasonality, apple crumble. Fair enough. And custard, thick custard, Passion not creme anglaise, custard. custard. Um, as it is a ridiculous thirty degrees. Ice cream. Can I just say, is everyone, everyone listening to this in December when it's like minus five de- or something? It's thirty degrees. We've, I've shut the door on the on the patio doors. We are singeing off yeah, here. It's boiling. Anyway, anyway, back to question. Um, ice cream or sorbet? Ice cream. I thought you would say that. I think you sell ice cream in the shops. Yeah, but not chocolate. I don't like a chocolate ice cream. I agree. I think if I'm going to have chocolate, I want a sorbet. Yeah. It tastes better to me. It does. Yeah, we sell chocolate sorbet. We make chocolate ice cream, but I like, but I do lash it with salted caramel, so it basically doesn't taste of ice chocolate. Ice cream. Anyway, uh, pasta or bread? Oh, you are evil. <laughs> do you know what? I'm gonna I'm going to say bread because you cannot toast cheese between pasta. That, that's a very acceptable answer and I think that's uh, but macaroni and cheese oh, oh my lord with it we were talking about this earlier you have to put a tin of condensed milk in your well, no you said that I wasn't quite yeah, I said I that you like, you mix a tin of condensed milk into your bechamel and with the cheese and it's kind of a sweet saltiness it's delicious I mean, it sounds incredible bit of a heart attack but you know no, no. sure cocktail or wine cocktail excellent and finally sweet or savoury Sweet, because if I have savoury, I have to have sweet. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that is the end oh, of the episode. I've got a sweat on. <laughs> we can open the door now. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank and, you for having um, me. It's been great. Is there anything you want to plug whilst you're here? I've got a new book coming out on Excellent. the 1st of November. 1st of November. I'm ambassador for the Children's Air Ambulance. Um, and I've written a book in collaboration with lots of well-known chefs and celebrities and well-known people, <coughs> including Edward Kimber. Ed Kimber. <laughs> no, not Edward. No, Sorry, no, that's Ed, my legal name. Shh. Ed Kimber. Kindly um, donated a recipe. Loads of other people like Emma Thompson, Brian Blessed, Cleo Rockus, and so on. John Waite. Um, it's all, all the proceeds, all the profits, everything are going straight to the charity. But it's a beautiful book that doesn't yeah, look like a, day, an ordinary gorgeous. charity book. Yeah. So that's on the 1st of November, and hopefully that will lead to a second book. What's it called? Year. It's called Sensational Chocolate. Excellent. And the reason it's called it, Sensational Chocolate Dessert, Sensational Chocolate Mousse, Sensational Chocolate Pistachio Sablés. That's my recipe. Um, so, yeah, that, I'm really proud of it. It's The, the photo shoot's beautiful, yeah. and it's for a good cause. It's, it's good nice cause. to do something, where a book that can do a lot of good. Yeah. Well, Paul has three shops in London. I would encourage you all to go because it is I mean I say this not as just your friend but as oh, a glutton thanks. I do think you make the best chocolate I've ever had oh thank you and, very much uh, you are an incredibly nice person oh, you were the thanks. first chef that was ever nice to me oh uh, and that was rare back then <laughs> well back th- I mean I, I'm not going to lie back then I, I kind of thought for you being the very first winner mm. it's uh, it could be carnage yeah for you as a career a while, yeah. or it could be gentle and you know, i think 
people coming into the industry like that, because that, that was a test pilot, really, it wasn't was, it? Yeah. That kind of show. You need support. Everyone coming into this industry needs support. It's very, we spoke about it, so it's very fickle. Yeah. And things open and close at a blink of an eye. Trends come and go in a blink of an eye, but you've managed to sustain it. It's brilliant. Thank you. Well, as again, thank you for joining us. Um, what's your website? www.paulayoung.co.uk And what are you on social? Plug your social. So, so if you hashtag the chocolate man, <laughs> he's giggling here because everyone said, "Oh, you're the chocolate man." Hashtag the chocolate man. Uh, and Instagram, Twitter is um, Paul underscore A underscore Young. Excellent. Is that all of them? It is. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, all underscore underscore yeah, yeah. yeah and if you search Paul A. Young you're on YouTube as well yes my YouTube channel um, we've haven't, we've had a summer break because I film it at home where yeah. we sat right now in I the don't... most beautiful kitchen oh thanks but I don't have aircon so <laughs> it's hard for chocolate so it's very difficult so I think going forward we may have to I may have to get aircon put in if we're going to film here a lot because you can't temper and work no. and deal with chocolate so we will be starting filming again ready for September, October, November, December so there will be more recipes coming so make sure on you go and YouTube. subscribe yeah. thank you very much thank you